for our first meeting here at uh, Charters Towers Christian Outreach Centre and Happy New Year to each and every one of you and uh, I pray that this year would be an absolute blessing to you and your family and uh, for those joining on our family on our podcast service we are thinking of you also and we extend that welcome to you today. Be blessed and may you prosper in all that you do for this coming year. And, uh, but as we embark on this new year, 2004, on our calendar, it's a good time, as on any journey, to reflect and take stock. It's a good time of year to do that. I went to the gym on January the 1st and the place was packed. By the end of the week, it was only half packed. <laughs> but take, it's a good time to take our bearings and recalibrate, they say, and set out with a vision and purpose uh, for the year ahead. I was talking, uh, Jules and I went to a retail store during the week, and there was a local man there behind the counter, and I asked him what he had in view for the, for the coming year, and his reply was not a surprise to me, but he said, work, party, and work. Yay! <laughs> that was his answer, work, party, and work. And between doing those things, he said he would like to go to Bali so that he could really party. And I'm thinking, what a vision. <laughs> what a vision for his life. And um, there's an old saying that states, people do not plan to fail, but they simply fail to plan. Who's ever heard that saying? It's an old cliche, I know, but it's true. An old pastor friend of mine and this church, who passed away some years ago, Pastor Des Powell. Who remembers Pastor Des? Fantastic bloke. I knew him when I was about 16 years of age. You couldn't do a pub crawl in Bowen without coming across his guys on the back of the truck singing gospel songs. And, uh, but Pastor Des was a friend of this church. And there's a remor- memorial f- fountain you'll see just outside the front, and that's uh, to Pastor Des. But Pastor Des was king of the one-liners, and he could recite so many at the drop of a hat and in any given situation. But as I was talking to this guy in that retail store, a couple of days ago, I could almost hear Pastor Des speaking to, when I was speaking to that young man, and he, one of those one-liners was, if you're not going anywhere, any road will get you there. And he had hundreds and hundreds of those one-liners. But it was perfect for this young guy, really. God said to the prophet Hosea, he said, my people are destroyed because of lack of knowledge. Isn't it amazing? They're destroyed for lack of knowledge. In other words, ignorance is actually not bliss. The title of my message this morning is Write the Vision. You'll know that scripture from Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 2. But Proverbs 29, 18, it says, Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. In other words, where there's no knowledge, people cut loose. That's what it means. The King James Version says, Where there's no revelation, or where there's, sorry, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people run wild, says our modern language Bible. Do you ever see people cutting cutting loose and running wild? Generally, you'll see that they're people without vision. And uh, where there is ignorance of God, says the living Bible, the people run wild. Another one says the Revised Standard Version says in Proverbs 29.18, where there is no prophecy, the people cast off restraint. So what's that mean? The prophet in the Old Testament, was the one who was called the seer, or one who sees. In other words, when there is no vision, when there is no outlook, where there is nothing to see, people cast off restraint, go wild, and their life is unshackled. 
I'd like if you would turn in your Bibles to read 1 Samuel chapter 3, if you would. 1 Samuel uh, chapter 3. I'll read a few verses there, and uh, just to give you a bit more of an idea of this word called knowledge, or to see, or to have vision. Now it says, now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. This was in the, the old school sanctuary. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no widespread revelation or vision. It came to pass at that time while Eli, that's Eli is the priest, and he was uh, sitting down, and, uh, and it says in, he was lying down in that place, and when his eyes had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, and the Lord called Samuel, Samuel, and he said, here I am. I've written my own name there. I said, Jeff, Jeff. And I would respond, here I am. And so he ran to Eli the priest. See, Samuel was only just a boy, just a very, very young boy. And he says, here I am, you called me. And he said, I did not call you, lie down again. And he went and lied down Eli was very, very awake. He was very, very old. He had no vision, and he just liked lying down. And he liked everybody else around him to lie down as well. Do you know any people like that? And then the Lord called again, and Samuel, Samuel arose and went to Eli, and he says, Here I am, for you called me. And he answered, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. So Eli is content for people to be lying down himself and for everybody else to be lying down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. In other words, we need a revelation of the word of God. And so here we see in these scriptures that the word of the Lord was rare. There was no widespread revelation. There was no widespread vision. Eli was lying down. Eli's eyes were growing dim. Then it says Eli is so dim that he could not see. That's fairly dim, isn't it? So dim that he couldn't see. And then it says, before the lamp of God went out. There's not a word wasted in the Bible. And you can see that the word of the Lord was growing dim. There was no widespread revelation. There was no light and it was growing darker and dark. And in fact, it was a dark time in Israel's history. And the life of this young boy, Samuel, brought in and ushered in the glory days of the kingdom of Israel. Amen. He was a shining light, a young boy like this. Very, very young boy, but he was the shining light in a dark place. Psalm 119 verse 130 puts it this way. He says, the entrance of your word brings light. Isn't that a beautiful word? The entrance of God's word brings life. If you're in a dark situation, read the word of God because it will bring light into your situation. It will bring and impart peace into your situation. In a less than peaceful, peaceful often existence, we can still have peace. Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And so uh, the, I like what it says in the Living Bible. It says, as your plan unfolds, even the simple can understand it. No wonder I wait expectantly, expectantly for each of your commandments. That's what it says. No wonder. As your plan unfolds. You see, the Word of God will unveil plans to you. i like if you would now go to... A, uh, Judges and chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. We're going to have a look at a guy here, and his name's Gideon. Perhaps you know him or have read, read about him. And uh, it says in Judges chapter 6 and verse 6, 
So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. It's a good thing to do, isn't it? In Egypt, they were 400 years in slavery. Then they cried out to the Lord. I wouldn't wait that long. And you don't have to wait that long either. When you're in bondage or in a dark situation, you can call out today. You can call out right now. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel. Isn't that interesting? The Lord sends a prophet. When you ask, you see the prophetic word of God, God will come to you. And in verse 11 says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under a terebinth tree, which was in Orphah, which belonged to Joash the Abrazite, while his son Gideon, he's our main man right now, threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. So here is this awesome-looking guy threshing wheat within the walls of a winepress because he was hiding from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. In verse 13, bear with me for a few verses here. Gideon said to him, O Lord of the... Uh, oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has... I just want you to envisage violins playing while he's saying this, okay? Why we're having our whinging session, the violins are playing here. And he says, Oh, Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Where is all these miracles which our fathers told about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us from, out from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Can you hear the violins? He's having a good old whinge. None of us are like that, I know. But then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's household. What he was saying is, I'm the weakest of the least. Surely you've got it wrong. Then the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, I know I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that is you who are talking with me. So here is Gideon, an awesome, in the sight of God, he was a mighty man of valor. He's hiding in the wine press, he's threshing wheat behind walls so that the enemy couldn't steal his food, because that's what was happening. He was living in fear, frustration filled all his speech, you can hear his speech, it's a good whinge, it's a good wine, and, uh, he's, and he's asking why. Have you ever been like that? When things are not stacking up real good for you, begin to whinge and whine to God, and you begin to ha do the why sort of uh, a conversation with God. And Gideon was filled with a holy discontentment, and I have sensed holy discontentment in the past, and so were all the people. The people cried out to the Lord, the Lord sent a prophet. The prophet brought a correction from the Lord, and he says, because you have not obeyed my voice. Everybody would have loved that, wouldn't it? The prophet said, because you have not obeyed my voice. And so sometimes we blame God for things that are the result of our own shortcomings. And God also sent an angel of the Lord. So the Lord was gracious in that. And the Lord says in Judges chapter 6 and verse 12, he says, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And so Gideon was here in the wine press, stopped probably threshing wheat for just a moment, and he thought somebody else must have crept into the wine press because he didn't know that this angel was talking to him. You see, the Lord looked on him and it says, You're a mighty man of valor. 
But there is a tension here between what God would see and what Gideon saw of himself. Isn't that amazing? What does God see when he looks at me? What does God see when he looks at you? Gideon saw himself as the weakest of the least in his father's household, and yet God, through heaven's eyes, heaven's vision, saw a mighty man of valor. You see, there's a tension here between how God sees us and how we see us. Amen? And God's vision is the correct one. We see ourselves as the weakest of the least. We see ourselves as four foot nine, four foot eight, four foot seven, four foot six. God's purpose is to be filled so that God could effectively throw through this, flow through this chosen vessel. Gideon was a chosen vessel of the Lord, but there needed to be a, co- a correction or a synchronization of the vision, the purpose, and the mind of Gideon with the mind and heart of God. Amen? Who needs to come into alignment or to recalibrate with God? We do. God doesn't recalibrate with us. We recalibrate with him. We come into alignment with his word. The I reckon, I think mentality of the average Aussie, he goes, I reckon this and I reckon that. It's the gospel of I reckon. But we don't reckon anything. We reckon the word of God. Who is it to change? God gave us his word that we would realign ourselves with the mind and the heart of God, not that God would realign himself with the heart of man. Amen? ABC says that God should do things ABC's way. Amen? We are called to look through heaven's eyes. God saw Gideon as a mighty man of valor. Looking through heaven's eyes has taken the song out of Prince of Egypt, the old cartoon of about 20 years ago. Look through heaven's eyes, you might recall it. And, uh, and, 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 uh, and to Moses, God said, I can hear the cries and have seen the oppression of my people, says God. This is my paraphrase. And therefore I am sending you. And so when we cry out to God, this nation here, this people here will begin to cry out to God as the days get darker and darker, and they will, because the word of God tells us that they will, amen? They will get darker. You think it's dark now? It is going to get darker. And therefore, when the people cry out under the heavy hand of the oppressors, God may just send you. God may just send you. God may just send you, and you, and you. And doesn't matter how you see yourself as perhaps the weakest of the least in your father's household, God looks upon you through heaven's eyes and he says, you mighty man of valor. And we see as you go over the page in Numbers chapter 7 that the spirit of God came upon Gideon. That means the power or the dunamis power came upon Gideon and he rose up and blew the trumpet. When the Spirit, God does not mind who he chooses to be a mighty man or woman of valor because when the Spirit of God comes upon you, you shall be turned into another man, as God said to Saul. Amen? Amen? You will be called and changed into another person when the Spirit of God comes upon you. Doesn't matter how you see yourself, but our, how we see ourselves. You may like in, in, in Numbers, and the ten spies went out, and they saw themselves as grasshoppers in their eyes and in the eyes of their enemies. But God says, I have filled you with my spirit. You're made in the image and likeness of God. You have a job description to take dominion on the earth. Amen? That's what our calling is. So I'd like now to... Uh, Uh, Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 17. And uh, I've referenced this verse a couple of times throughout the year. 
and I'll go to it again. Now, Paul is writing to the Ephesian church, and I'll read a couple of verses here, and because it relates to vision, seeing, and revelation, and knowledge. And so Paul is writing to this Ephesian church, and he wanted to know a few things that he was actually praying for them. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. He said that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. You see, knowledge is power. Revelation of God for your life, for this region here, for the days and the times, the seasons, the dispensation of time in which we live is power. He says, he goes on to pray, he says, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Our minds need to be enlightened with what God wants for us and for your family and for this region. That you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. And God wanted the Ephesian church to know these things, just as the angel of the Lord wanted Gideon to know these things. Why? So that he could rise up and fulfill the destiny of God for his life. When you fulfill the destiny of God in your life, you will fulfill every other grand plan that God has for you. You'll be the ultimate husband. You'll be the ultimate wife. You'll be the ultimate business person. You'll be the ultimate son or daughter or whatever God has called you to be when you are in line with God's word. Who likes the sound of being prosperous in your life? Who likes the sound of prospering in everything that you do? That your family would prosper. That your inheritance would prosper. That this region, Charters Towers, would prosper. This is my heart's desire. Surely, but to know the purposes of God for your life is a grand thing to start with. And this is why we come to this place, the beginning of the year, to realign, to recalibrate, to refix, to reset and to get a vision of what God would have for your life, for your family, for your marriage, for this church, for this region. God's got a plan. Our endeavor. This is not my church. This is God's church. I have never called this place my church. God could remove me tomorrow morning if he so desired. It's his church, and it will rise or fall on him and him alone. Amen? That is a safe place for me to be. What is a safe place for you to be? Psalm 119 verse 18 says, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. You see, our eyes need to be enlightened, as Paul said in Ephesians 1, 17 and 18, that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. Why? Three things it says in the following two verses. That you may know what is the hope of his calling on your life. Do you know what the hope of God's calling for your life is for this year? Do you know? These are serious questions. I'm, I'm asking you not to turn your brain off here at this point in time, but to switch it on. That you connect your faith with your mind and your spirit, that you, will know, that you may know what is the hope of God's calling for your life. Everybody, while there is breath in your, in your lungs, still have a calling of God. The two most important dates in your life are not when you were born and when you were die, but they were when you were born and then you find out the reason, the date that you found the reason that you were born is the second most important date. Isn't that good? When did you find out the reason for your existence? Sure, we want to serve God, 
Sure, that's a great reason to exist because we want to worship God. But God has placed you in the midst of the church to be a beneficiary for others. Amen? Turn to the person next to you and you say, you are, you are a wonderful part of the body of Christ here in this place. That's a mouthful, isn't it? You are a wonderful part of the body of Christ in this place. Jack, you're a wonderful part of the body of Christ in this place. And we, we thank you for coming. You're part of the family here. The second reason there is to reveal to us the glorious inheritance and riches for the saints. What is our inheritance? It's the end game. Look to the end game. The book of Revelations tells us how everything's going to wrap up. It tells us very, very plainly. It's not really obscure at all. Read the book of Revelations and the promise that a blessing would come to your life comes just by reading the book of Revelations. Who's ever read the book of Revelations? It is a magnificent book. Amen? This is the best-selling book of all time, amen? 20, more than 20, 25 million, I think, the Gideons will distribute this year, and they only attribute to about 20% of the distribution of Bibles throughout the whole of the earth. The most popular book in all the earth is the Bible, and we should be more familiar with it than the back of our hands. And so it says, to reveal to us the glorious inheritance and riches for the saints, our inheritance is in Christ, and when, we, when this whole show wraps up, we are seated with him in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, as it goes on to say in Ephesians uh, 2.19 uh, and 20. Uh, 1.19. So, and the third thing there, to reveal the greatness of his power, described as exceedingly great. Uh, as I've said before, when God made the light, there it is at 300,000 kilometers a second. And God says, and he says, oh, that's good. Tov in the Hebrew. He says, uh, uh, And that was in day one. To reveal the greatness of God's power. But God calls his blessings and power that is available to you as exceedingly great. How good is exceedingly great? If God makes light at 300,000 kilometers a second, then he says, oh, that's good. Then he stands back and he says, then he made the stars also. The master of the understatement. He made the stars also. Amen? The master of the understatement. But God's power available to you and I is exceedingly great. Gideon didn't realize that when he's threshing wheat behind the walls of a wine press. He was cowering. He was afraid. He was, he was angry. He was anxious. He was anxious and he was angry. I think he was angry at God. Hearing about all his great promises and everything that he did to the Egyptians. And yet here they are starving to death. But how do we accomplish this heavenly vision? I'd like for us now to go to Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 2. And I'll be wrapping up very shortly. And here is Habakkuk. It's about 600 BC. And so the Assyrian Empire had come and gone. The Babylonians had raised their ugly head and now were the new oppressors of the Jewish people in Israel. And so the first deportation of people had already taken place five years earlier before Habakkuk penned this. The second deportation was to occur only three years down the track. And about 14 years down the track, the third and last deportation and then, and then uh, Babylon totally subdued Jerusalem. 
And here is the prophet Habakkuk, and it is doom and gloom. There's not much good about this whole book to encourage you, except the last three verses. If you want a quick fix, don't read Habakkuk, unless you read all the way through. And because it will leave you in a depressed state, a bit like Gideon and his state, when he thought the enemy had totally overrun, when darkness had overwhelmed. I turn on the TV and it looks like darkness is overwhelming the earth and there's nothing much that the righteous can do as all the laws seem to be there to support those who have no regard for the truth. But he says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. So here is Habakkuk, and he called upon God to give a reason, to to give him some instructions. And you know what? God heard his prayer. It is okay from 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 an attitude of seeking the will of God, it's okay to say, Lord, show me. Show me today. Put some pressure on your faith and begin to ask and call upon God for an answer today. Then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision. Oh, this is good, isn't it? This is January 2024, and here is the key to uh, materializing and not leaving something a pipe dream. So many of our things that come into our mind and our hearts and the callings and things of our life are just a pipe dream, and there's no substance to it. How do I put substance to what I know that God has placed deep within me? You know that you were born for something more, but somehow you cannot materialize it. And here is the key, and it's God's key. The world has embraced it, more even than the church. We say, oh, we don't need that. But the Bible's very clear. It says, write the vision. This is God speaking. Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end it will speak and it will not lie, though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely, it will not tarry. It says, then it goes on to say, but the just shall live by his faith. Oh, it's good stuff. It's very good stuff. The Jewish people are soon to be exiled from their own land for a period of 70 years. And the Habakkuk could see this. Both the prophet Jeremiah and Habakkuk could see this. What could give them hope? They were looking down the barrel of 70 years of exile. What, what could fight off the despair, the despondency, and a will to live, not only for them, but for their children who were to be brought up in slavery? The vision, I believe a vision is like a lifeline. God wants to impart a vision to your life, and the vision is something like a lifeline which you yourself throw into your future and you begin to pull upon it and it takes you into the promises of God. What a picture. Can you get what I'm trying to say here? When you've got a vision from God, God will breathe upon it and you write it down and you put some bones to it, you put a plan. Those who fail to plan, plan to fail or whatever it is. But you can throw that vision into the future like a lifeline into the future, begin to pull upon it, and it will pull you into your destiny. That's vision. I've found that people don't die when the last breath expires from their lungs. They die when they lose vision. I call it the walking dead or the living dead. I look around and I can see, the Bible says that the eyes are the window to the soul and I can see when a soul has lost all hope for the future 
and they may as well be called home today because there is no vision and there is no future for their life. In the days when the Bible was written, when Jesus was alive, there were the walking dead. There was those who worked in the, or those who lived in the leper colonies. They were the living dead. There was those who worked in the, rode the oar at the slave galleys, ships, life expectancy, maximum four years. There was those who worked in the salt mines at Carthage, maximum life about three months to about one year. Death sentence, they were the living dead. But you and I without hope and you and I without vision are also the living dead. And I pray today that you would grab hold of what God has for your life. Begin to pray over the vision and the calling of God for your life. What has God got still for you today? For to today? I have found, uh, uh, I remember two very, very elderly ladies in, uh, in the islands of Scotland. They spent two nights a, a week and they spent their whole lifetime on their knees and prayed in a revival that touched tens of tens of thousands of people. Oh, they were in the, the twilight years so-called of their lives and yet the fruit that is attributed to their account as they prayed in a move of God and a move of God it was. I pray too that we're going to have a move of God in this place. Not just to fill this church, but fill every church. To drag people from the markets and the sporting fields and to see God placed the preeminently, first and foremost in this community again, will be the greatest blessing. I'd like if we will just go to Philippians 3.13. I can find it. I just wrote it on my way out of the door as it came to mind. Philippians 3 and 13. And this is Paul, and he's writing to the Philippian church, a church that he founded, the first church in Europe. And he said, brethren, I do not count... He says, verse 12, not that I have already attained, ever humble, or am already perfected, but I press on that I may I lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. In other words, God apprehended this man... And then he spent the rest of his life apprehending God. In verse 13 it says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Oh, that's good stuff, isn't it? Sometimes our past lives, victories and so forth can be a snare to us. I say cut off the past and let it not dictate your future. He says, verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Oh, it's good stuff. And there he says in Acts 26, 19, when he was brought before King Agrippa's courtroom, and, uh, and he says, therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. When God gives you a vision, perhaps it's, you've got it on a fridge magnet, And that fridge magnet now has made its way all the way to the bottom of the fridge. I encourage you today that you pick up that vision that God has had for your life all these years. All these years. Grab hold of that thing. Grab hold of that magnet and stick it up the top. Stick it back in your prayer room. 
Stick it back in your prayer closet. Stick it back in your Bible and begin to pray and breathe and give that vision substance. Because I believe God, I'm looking at a whole people, mighty women and men of valor, and you see yourself as the weakest of the least in your father's household. That's through your eyes, but through the eyes of heaven and the eyes of God, God does not see failure. God does not make a mistake. Oh, it's not how you start, but how you finish, as I preached last Sunday. Perhaps you've had a shaky start. I've had shaky starts, quite a few of them. But how you finish is what God is looking towards for you today. I pray in Habakkuk chapter, Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 2, we say, write the vision and make it plain on tablets. That is not an idle suggestion, but it is a command of God. I pray that you go home today. There is visions for your life, spiritual visions for your life. There are spiritual visions for your family. There is a vision for your business. There is visions for this church. There is a vision that God has for this community of Charters Towers. And begin to jot down some ideas. Begin to pray over it. Allow God to breathe upon it. And God will get... Your imagination is a faculty of the Holy Spirit. The devil wants to hijack your imagination and use it for his purpose. But I pray that you grab hold of that imagination and begin to use it as a faculty of the Spirit and allow God to breathe upon what God wants to do for your life. You're not done and dusted. There's breath in your lungs. There's blood flowing through your veins. And there's a great purpose for you. Amen? There is a great purpose for us. I pray that you stand to your feet as Jules comes to the keys. I think uh, when I read through all those scriptures, there's words that seem to crop up over and over and over again. And they're words called knowledge, purpose, vision, revelation. And all of those things are aided by this one act of what God commanded the prophet Habakkuk to write the vision. How simple is it? I pray that today doesn't matter where you are in life, that you will go home today. You'll grab hold of a pen and you'll grab hold of a pad and you begin to write the vision. Perhaps that vision so long ago, you've given up on it. But if God is still on it, He can breathe life to it. Amen? He can bring those dead bones to life. He can put sinew and muscle and body and then He can breathe upon it again. And the Bible says that stood an exceedingly great army in Ezekiel 36 and 37 and 38. An exceedingly great army. God is waiting for the sons of God to be made manifest here on the earth and would stand before the Lord an exceedingly great army who would fulfill the great commission to reach, teach, train and send. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. I pray as my hand goes across I pray, Father, impart the vision, Father, today. Breathe life into this vision. Resurrect the vision. Resurrection power is God's specialty. And I pray in Jesus' name that people would find again their purpose, Father God. For without a purpose, without a divine vision, people cast off restraint. People get back into sin. But I pray your vision for our lives, Lord, would hold us firm to the path of righteousness. I pray, I declare and decree it. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.
working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Because Lord, you never stop. You never stop working. Amen. Jesus. Jesus. 